Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. This is me, Steffi Cohen. And Hayden Bow. And today we have the pleasure of sitting down with Jordan Shallow, a.k.a. The Muscle Doc, and Joey Sly. He is an American football place kicker for the Carolina, Carolina Panthers uh, of the NFL. He played college football over at Virginia Tech. He signed with the Carolina Panthers on 2019, and last year he finished his season 29 for 36 on field goals. Joey started the Sly Strong Six Foundation in order to honor and remember his brother AJ, who he lost to cancer, by supporting the fight to cure cancer through community outreach. So make sure to check that out, Sly Strong Six Foundation. This episode is brought to you by Stay Classy Meats. As always, you can get 10% off if you use the code HYBRID in all caps. Stay Classy Meats is an all-athlete-focused company who knows that we require the best quality protein. Stay Classy Meats curates quality specialty meat from small batch ranchers and processors across the Northern Rockies and delivers them straight to your doorstep. So if you want to support this show and you want to support Stay Classy across the board, make sure you use the code HYBRID in all caps to get 10% off your next order. Sit back, relax, and join another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. So what do you live here now? Yeah, well, I think Hybrid Unlimited needed a co-host, a third co-host, so I figured why not? Dude, at this point, you're pretty much one of the hosts of the show. I spent more time in Miami this year than in my place. And probably, I've spent more time in Miami in the last two years than I have in the condo that I currently own. That's you love insane. it? Miami? Yeah. Yeah, it's the best. What do you love about it? Uh, well, especially now, it's the center of the universe, man, Like, because it's so open that everyone's just coming here. I think it's its own universe. Yeah, but it's it's a microcosm of the universe like as a whole. So you ever go to the beach and watch the waves roll in and like yeah. everything about the universe starts to make sense? It's like you just watch Miami. It's just a bunch of people just running into shit. It's like watching like <laughs> electrons or something or things in a microscope. Everyone's just colliding and spinning off into each other. It's, yeah. What did you smoke this morning? Nothing. Would you imagine if I did? Surprise. Imagine if we were having a silly goose time. Incredible. Yeah, that, that anyways, maybe we won't go there. Oh, That's fuck. what you think about when you go to the beach? I don't go to the beach for. I'm like you, bro. Like, what, what do I need to go to the beach for? I hate sand and I just turn red, more red. But you gotta look at the waves to see the microchasms. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. Man. I definitely feel like your microphone is way too far away. Way too far. And you're yeah. you're kind of quiet. Don't, yeah. don't be shy. I don't know. See, <laughs> don't be shy. Screaming like Jordan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> body. This is pretty much. This the is body. pretty much how we communicate. Yeah. Just like knuckle dragging, like. <laughs> I usually just try to make you laugh, which I think is. Yeah, because you used to, you used to do dumb shit. Remember the time we were just sat in the parking lot and just fetched your car? Like, yo, check this out. <laughs> we were just like sitting there calling his Tesla. It was like 11 o'clock at night. It's like, don't you have a game tomorrow? And you're just like, yeah, yeah, but yo, check this. And look, the car comes to me. And like just an un, un, unmanned does, Tesla just starts. Does that work flawlessly? Like every time? No. No, it doesn't. It's like, uh, it's slow. And it like will read everything else like around it. But it's not like the most practical thing in the world. Realistically, how often do you use that feature? Zero. I do it. That's honestly like uh, there's a, uh, another feature on there that's like a Christmas like trans trans Siberian orchestra where it like dances and stuff. I would use that more than I use the self uh, like summoning, but I use the self driving all the time. Um, that one's great. That one's honestly that's trippy when I go by somebody on the highway and they're just like. No, but you have to keep seat. your hands on the wheel. Not with the new ones, right? It every, punishes you it, if you don't. Once in a while, you gotta like yeah, it's like you lost your privilege of self-driving. Actually, yeah. No, but the but it's a little bit different with Three that one. Three times, yeah. Because I figured out when we were driving, uh, we had a rental Tesla in California, and you can just hang your hands on the steering wheel, 
And that was like the loophole I found because it, it actually kicked me out and didn't let me do the self or do the self drive because I hey, didn't know. Didn't hey, do it hey, Elon Musk, this is my idea. <laughs> This is what my idea of self drive self driving is. Okay, I'm gonna sit in the passenger in the driver's seat, and I'm gonna not pay attention to the road whatsoever. That's what my idea of self driving. Did they have that though? Like, isn't that how it started? And a homeboy was watching Chamber of Secrets in the back seat and ended up on the wheels of an 18 wheeler. No, I, I legit. Think, I think so. Make it much better. The other cars around the Tesla. So like Elon's whole like mindset is more the more people that get the car and the more self driving there is. The less accidents will happen. Sure. Guy, like it's the guy. human error of like everyone else that's not driving a Tesla around you. Guy, you can put you. You're telling me, guy Elon Musk, you're telling me, <laughs> you can put. You're planning on putting people in Mars and right. building a self-sustainable ecosystem and changing the atmosphere of Mars and bringing water. And you can't make a car not do that. No. How does that work? Dude, there's no way we went to space. Are you joking me? Have you traveled during COVID? The same human beings that came up with this idea, like I know, two masks, there's no fucking way. Moon landing, entirely fake. Are you being serious right now? One thousand percent. Dude, I literally, dude, I can't, I can't think that in the course of the last 50 years, we've gotten, we've gotten. Did you lose your mind during COVID? No, dude. Did you become a conspiracy theorist? I'm not a flat, no, but it's just, I can't. Are you an anti-vaxxer? No, but I just, I can't get on board with the fact that the same human beings that operate the airport are the same human beings, like the same species of creature that also put a man on the moon. It's like traveling during COVID, if I had any faith in mankind, is completely gone. Like, dude, I had to wait. Last time I was leaving on like the the day before that crazy lockdown in Canada, where they put you up in the hotel and make you pay for it and shit. You got to go back to that because I had a lot of questions. Such an issue. But I had to wait in line for three hours to get a little piece of blue cutout like cardboard to say that this is recognition that someone saw my negative COVID test. Like there has to be a better system. And then they're like, oh, we we like it if you wear two masks. It was like, at what point what do we even mean we'd like it? We strongly suggest. suggest. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. And that was the mistake I made when I landed in Pearson. Apparently you could have just walked out of the airport and like not done the COVID test because it is against like the charter of rights and freedoms. Like you, they'll slap you with a fine that you don't have to pay, but you didn't have to wait in this line. Wow. Yeah. Would, would you go through, I guess it's like, I don't know what the bigger hassle is, but would you go through the hassle of having to get the fine and do all that shit, like get in trouble for yeah. skipping the line. Yeah, I you would. think it's worth it? I would. For me, I'm, but you know me, so like I, like yeah. Like, <laughs> you're just doing it on purpose. Big like, prince if I have to pay a fine, okay, I'm gonna like yeah. pay it in pennies then or something. Like yeah, well dude, like, so you know how they, the, the little, they set up like the stanchions and they have you weave through the line, like even that process, like even the maze that they made you go through, it was like, it was like a drunk person with an Etch-a-Sketch made it. It was like, this alone is stupid. Like the whole process, we couldn't even come away with a good way to file people through. If I have to go through it again, I'm, I'm just walking out the door. But you know what? I think I think what's happening here, and you know, to your point of people being stupid at airports versus like people landing in the moon, I think there's really, there's no just one type of human. There's, there's different types of species of humans, okay. you know? And just the majority of them that are roaming the earth on the day to day are just, you know, do you think we're on the cusp of like a division of like, like 
you know how there was like Neanderthal to like Homo sapien, like sort of that mm-hmm. transition. Mm-hmm. Do you think we're like Homo sapiens, like Neo sapien, and there's yeah. some Homo sapiens walking around like mm, this guy's kind of slow. Yo, 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 yo! <laughs> Did you see the video of the woman who used a gorilla glue as 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 um like a hairspray as hairspray and glued her hair to her scalp to the point where it's impossible to take out. So it's like world star. Like where, 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 no, <laughs> this is actually a wild story. So it's, it started with this girl ran out of hairspray. Someone said they could, she could use spray gorilla glue. Maybe it was pranking her. I don't know. Incredible. The story there. But anyway, she puts it in. Her head is rock solid for, rock. for <laughs> days. Like no, months, yeah. is, right? months, months. Yeah. Oh, okay. So anyways, she does a video. It goes viral of her with the gorilla glue in her hair and a plastic surgeon sees it. Mm-hmm. Gets her somehow like finds her contact information is like hey I want to help you out this seems terrible what come into my my office whatever he gets to know the girl he does the thing for her, for her hair and he's like you know what I feel bad for what happened to you whatever you want done I'll just do it so she was gonna get a boob job and like some other things done by this plastic surgeon and when they started doing all the like discovery stuff for the for the boob job they noticed lumps in both of her breasts and she had breast cancer and yeah isn't this crazy and then so now she's gonna undergo surgery for that but she's like she's like oh my god this was like a meant to be thing because i never would have found out that i had breast cancer right so, so my darwin point, my point yes no but, <laughs> yes. No, but dude it's, it's that's the opposite of darwinism no unless she, well no this is where she's meant to survive apparently no, no. this is the problem yes I see. Right. Yes. And can we have it on video record that Steph is 100% agreeing with me for something for the first time ever? Like, that's a problem, though, right? Like, because you don't want the gorilla glue hairspray Bro. gene to propagate. No. And due to the fact that social media connected, <laughs> this guy saw it as an opportunity. Like, yeah, you know, you want some bolt ons too? Here we go. We'll get you done up. You know, do the whole Cuban ass thing. Like, oh, hey, by the way, you had a terminal illness. Yeah. Now you're going to survive and have kids. That now. plastic surgeon definitely got in the way yeah. of natural, natural selection. selection. 100%. 100% <laughs> There's also like another part of the story too that she kept like trying to wash it out. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. like the Gorilla Glue got stronger and stronger and Probably. stronger every single time she tried to wash it out. So like it started off at like level one and she had it at like level 18 when she went in. To finally get it done, and then the plastic surgeon, I think, is like an absolute genius. He's like, "Yeah, I'll do this like pro bono. Yeah, don't worry about it. I'll take it out." Now people. How are did like, he take wow. it out? Uh, the scalper, dude. His yeah. practice is probably booming Fuck, right that now. Probably all that attention that he got. Exactly. He's all he's doing is putting his name out there publicly to say, "I pretty much saved this girl's life, and now come get like." Some nice boobs and a nice butt. Yeah, I mean, we're talking want. about it, right? Like, this is free advertising. Everyone's gonna like look this story. You're gonna Google up. them, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't know. But I, yeah, so going back to your point of Homo sapiens, Neo sapiens, yeah. whatever. Definitely, I think that I think, <laughs> bro, at some point there's gonna be some sort of pandemic that is really gonna take its course and really gonna get rid of that type of. Oh, and then like all the people who just denied the disease are yeah. just gonna get wiped out. Yeah. The so ignorant disease deniers. Yeah, this was mild. The, like, the, the stuff that's, uh, if you have the preconditions coming into having COVID, like obesity and stuff like that, like a lot of people are already kind of seeing COVID as being like a wipeout of yeah. people that are unhealthy. And so yeah, like, and the only healthy ones will survive. But at the same time, like 
So in every single disease, that's pretty much set up for someone. If you're healthy, you're going to beat it. If you're unhealthy, you're not going to beat it. But, but I think yeah. in the grand scheme of things, this is pretty mild. Yeah. But know? I think the oh, culling of the herd is like, yeah, we can call the herd and get rid of some fat people and some old people, but culling the herd for stupidity is really where we need to push for that. We need that disease. Yeah. We need COVID that just extends. Well, stupid. Have, have All right, heard, let's uh, just go real, go. Have you heard Bill Burr's bit? Oh, he's oh, been talking about it. start bombing cruise ships. He said that's where all the idiots go for vacation. <laughs> all the un- non-creative people just drive like, just them wipe off out a couple of those every once in a while. <laughs> but like, good to I go. I think. I mean, quick. Right. <laughs> COVID. Yes. Had C. COVID. Have you had it? Yes. Yeah. No. No. And you haven't had it. No. Definitely had it. When I came back from Miami last time, I was riddled with it. Really, dude. So I, li- <laughs> I moved into a condo building. <laughs> so many COVIDs. I moved into a condo building that is still under construction. So I moved in on the fifth floor and they only had moved into the fifth floor at that time. So like the building is just full of construction workers. There's more construction workers in there than, than residents. And I was two, three days back. I was like just cooking bacon in the kitchen. Um, didn't really notice that I didn't smell it. Mm. Heard my front door open and two guys walked in. I was like, the fuck is going on here? And they walked in with like breaking bad hazmat suits on. <laughs> And I was like, uh, hi. And he's like, oh my God, someone lives here. And I was like, yeah, dude, like, what the fuck's wrong with you? I've been living here for like three months. I was just away on vacation. Why are you guys walking into my place? He goes, and they just go, you don't smell that? And they had like <laughs> ventilator, like graffiti, spray paint, fucking surgical yellow shit. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? Dude, like, there's a sewage problem in the building. Like, people have been like staying in hotels. And I'm sitting there cooking bacon with my shirt off. I was <laughs> like, what the fuck? I had no idea. Smell and I was just wow. like, oh, fuck. Like, how do I play this so they know I definitely don't have COVID? I was what like, did ah. you say? They're like, are you cooking something weird? And I was like, <laughs> I'm cooking bacon. Like, what the fuck? And it, it, there was an issue with the sewage on the sixth floor above my, above my uh, unit. And it was apparently like people on the fifth floor were like going to stay in hotels because the smell was that bad. And I'm just sitting there just no. doing my thing. And these Eating. two guys walking like fucking hazmat shirts on and I, I couldn't smell anything. Riddled. Incredible. Could you taste the bacon then afterwards? Well, then it was in my head though, right? Because then it was in my head. I was like, okay, fuck. This is like, that was the one thing I had known at the point was you lost your, you lost your smell. But I guess you don't think about smelling stuff. At least I don't throughout the day. It's like I can go a whole day and not be like, that smells good. Like I don't really notice it. Yeah. So for, but I, then it was like, okay, it's it, you fixate. It's like, wait, but what is what does this usually smell like? It's like, oh crap. Then like I thought it was. I know exactly. Did it freak you out a little bit? Like it's a little bit um, freaky when you realize no, you can't smell or taste. Right. Yeah. Because the biggest thing is when is it going to come back? Yeah. Because then you get in your own head. It's like, do I taste this now? Like I was taking <laughs> I was yeah. taking that Mio stuff, like the yeah. stuff you drink in water. Because like, you put a drop of that in the ocean and you could taste like fucking limeade forever. Yeah. So I was taking that straight to the dome. That was my morning <laughs> test. I would just take this like aspartame concentrate and just go. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, wow. like, such a weird yeah. feeling. Did it come back? Yeah, I spent a few. Yeah, that's a way better, that's way cheaper test. I was literally when I had the thought that the whole space thing was. I was at a, a Walgreens up in um, Weston getting my COVID test before I had. That'll back. make you question humanity. Oh my God, Walgreens <laughs> is a leper colony, and Walmart. the lady hands me the Q-tip. And just goes, stick this up your nose. I was like, is this where medicine is at? We're just, we're, I'm going to do this. Not that I think you need to be qualified to pick your own nose with a Q-tip and a drive through window, but like, there's no way this works. There's no <laughs> way to given the old like Q-tip frontal lobotomy is telling you the information that you need. Yeah, true. 
There's a lot of variance in how you do that too, because they see the first one I went to, they made it seem like it was really important that you had to shove that thing all the way up there and like cause yourself some pain. Yeah. You know, and then the next one I went to, they're just like, they just handed it to me, said nothing, and I just went and gave it back. Same thing. You know. So wait, so, so we're, two we're, wildly different administrations. Sorry, where, where did the questioning about the moon landing come from? Because when the lady handed me the thing and she said you got to put it in and out of your nostrils, so I was nostril fucking myself with a Q-tip in like the, the driver's seat of my rental, going, "This is modern medicine." There's no fucking way we went to the moon. But this is where we're at. <laughs> this is the best years you got. Later. Exactly. <laughs> what was the test for you guys? Because you were getting tested like every fucking day. We had the people shoving different Q-tips up our nose. We had like. Only up your nose or different orifices? No, just China's getting real with that. Did you see that? They're going right up the bum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to talk. You got to talk to Goodell. Because you imagine it's mandatory. Question. It's mandatory. If NFL comes out and goes, all right, guys, we don't. We're not going to do any bubble shit. We're going to go full fans, but all the players got to (laughs) go. Knock, knock, back. What would you do? I'm I'm terrified for my prostate exam when I'm like 50. I'm not even thinking. That causes me anxiety too. Oh my gosh. How you have a weird thing with that. 24, and with I'm like scared about a prostate exam. But stuff. 50. Meanwhile, yeah. girls have been going to the gynecologist since they're 13, getting random people's hands and Fingers apparatus and utensils, and utensils <laughs> in there. You go with a whisk? Like, what are you doing? Utensils? What do you mean? Dude, you te- freaking like clasps and shit. I can't. I can't. Like, orthodontist is pretty much where I drew the line. It was like, Dude, just, just picture this, okay? You go into an office, you take your pants off, take your underwear off, open your your legs like this wide, dude. I'm talking this wide, up there, fucking like this, okay? And a random person who you don't know walks in straight into your coochie and starts inspecting it. Yeah, it's gonna be a big takes like for me. grill tongs, probably shoves yeah. them up there, spreads them. A yeah, bit. spreads it open, and then that's where they look. There's got to be a better way. Oh, dude, I'm talking about, I'm complaining about nostril fucking myself with a Q-tip. Like, yeah, I that's why I say, yeah, Grammy and no. River, yo, guys are not prepared for anything. You guys don't know <laughs> well, suffering. Yeah, all right, until the axe murderer comes in, then it's like, you know, the guy. I can protect it. myself. I'm a fighter. Okay, all right. What if he's five foot four? And he's got reach on you. I'm just saying, like, there's, there's severe disadvantages to being a male sometimes. And it's going to be end of life stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. like there's a you're paying up front or you're paying on the back end. That's how life works. No one gets out unscathed. I agree, disagree. That's right, still paying on their end though, because they have to take care of us when we're all fucked up and when we're older. Nah, but they, dude, how many of them will just leave you? <laughs> <laughs> right? Sorry. Like, True. I guess that's pretty optional. <laughs> like this just takes too much effort. I'm done. Yeah, like yeah, you know, like the Elaine thing when she dates the old guy. <laughs> Right, like what's what's the commitment here? Guy yeah. ends up like that's not the commute. You know, it's like it's like two trains to get over here. <laughs> oh, the guy is like a stroke. Yeah, <laughs> they're like jamming cookies in his mouth. He thinks he's got low blood. You elevate the head, you get blood to the feet. You elevate the feet, you get blood to the head. <laughs> this podcast could literally just be a Seinfeld read for sure. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about your career now for yeah. serious, for seriously. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess um, obviously in the NFL, uh, this going on my third year. Um, got a lucky opportunity with the Panthers a couple of years ago. I mean, it was lucky. It was out of nowhere, to be honest. Uh, had a college career. I played at Virginia Tech. Had a pretty good uh, freshman, sophomore year, and then struggled my junior, senior year. I actually tore two muscles in my butt my senior year, my alternator externus and my quadratus femoris. And How'd you do that? Kicking the ball as hard as I could. Wow. And, uh, yeah, Too strong. Miami. We played Miami. Kit hit a kickoff like probably 
five rows deep in the in the stands and landed on my leg and I came over the sideline, talked to my the team doc, I was like something's messed up. And um had a couple talks with our athletic trainer. I was like, I don't know what's wrong with my leg right now and um got a couple x rays and then got an MRI and he was like, dude, I've never seen anyone with this type of injury in my life. So I had to rehab that a little bit, so that kinda hurt my stock too coming out. Got some opportunities with the uh my rookie mini came with um, Cleveland Browns and the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. Did well at both, didn't get signed, and then ended up having to go to a couple special teams camps around the country. Um, did well at one in Arizona, and then got a rookie mini camp the next year at the New York Giants. Um, got signed off the rookie mini camp, got cut two days later. Got What'd signed. you get cut? They just, they, so during those like camp days, like you have like a 90 man roster and they need to like utilize all that roster. And they ended up signing like another offense lineman. So I was the second kicker on the roster. They had Aldrich Rosas, who was a pro bowler the year before. So they really weren't looking to get a new kicker. They just wanted to kind of build depth. So if he ever got hurt, whatever the situation was, if he was struggling, then they would call me in for a tryout or something. So I got cut pretty quick after that. And then they signed me back for training camp. Um, so that I could get some film under me, have a couple preseason games, and three days into camp, five, like four or five wide receivers, like torn torn hamstring, torn ACL, pulled groin, like all this stuff was just going on, and um, they released me to bring in some more wide receivers because they were going to keep them obviously, but they needed more spots on the roster again, and then um, like three days later, I got called by Carolina, Graham Gano, the kicker there was there before, um, had a. a really bad leg injury that he was still recovering from the year before, still really wasn't healthy. And so um, he ended up uh, not playing the rest of that year. I had a great preseason. They uh, put him on season ending IR, played the entire year, had a pretty good rookie season. And then um, they kind of gave a option for him to either, uh, I think, take a pay cut or or, or go somewhere else and so he ended up going to New York had a great season this year and then I got lucky enough to stay in Carolina so this is year three and um, I'm on my third uh, third contract already so next year I'll hit my uh, restricted free agency and if I have a good year hopefully I can capitalize on the market a little bit but um, yeah NFL's been a completely different bug growing up playing football my entire life Damn, it seems so stressful, like so touch and go all the time. Oh yeah, man, I can't. And you, and you, um, you, you didn't get drafted, right? No, not which is pretty. Teams, I, as like far as I know, with though. any other sport, that's pretty amazing to not get drafted and then kind of like work your way in. Like in hockey, it's like if you don't get drafted, they're like you just quit. Yeah, you know, or you're you're playing for different reasons at that point. So like, what was that like? Uh, well, so kicking wise, like most kickers usually don't get drafted. I mean, in the draft. Kicking, punting, and long snapping, like the three specialist positions, you'll probably see eight or nine guys taken in a draft. And then, I mean, it's usually like sixth round, seventh round. Like, there, a lot of people are just either A, they are looking for their new starting kicker, or B, they'll just kind of draft them, give them a shot, and they're usually going to release them anyway. So, for my position, not being drafted wasn't like the end of the world. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I'm never going to get another opportunity to be in the league. And there's hundreds of free agents that are waiting for spots at all these camps right now. So, um, I knew I just had to get somewhere, kind of show like that I can become more consistent, that I have the leg strength to be in the league. And um, like I said, I got I got lucky a little bit with Carolina. And that's, I mean, 
for any position in the NFL, you gotta have some like luck behind it. Like, unless you're a first, second, third round draft pick that's gonna be there for a long time, like you gotta have some type of this guy got injured, and I got an opportunity and I took advantage of it, and then I went on. I mean, like we're talking about one of the probably the greatest football player of all time was drafted in the sixth round, 199th pick, got put in as a backup behind Drew Bledsoe. Drew Bledsoe got hurt, and Tom Brady's now won seven freaking Super Bowls. Like, if you don't take advantage of your opportunity, you're just not going to get it. But then he's rivaled against someone like Peyton Manning. Yeah. First-round draft pick. You know what I'm saying? His dad played in the NFL. It was kind of a done deal. Went to Tennessee, set a bunch of records, all this stuff. So it's like there's – I see in the NFL there's like two different ways you're really successful. You're either just – God-given talent, like, that's so freakishly given that nobody can touch it. I mean, like, Chase Young last year that got drafted by the Washington football team. I mean, that kid's huge. Like, it's an absolute monster. Cam Newton, we've talked about, is a huge specimen of a person. He's going to be successful in the league. And then you have guys that get drafted sixth, seventh round, undrafted free agents that have that chip on their shoulder that's like, like, my motto in my life is, like, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And so, like, those guys end up being successful because like they force themselves to be successful. They don't just like kind of walk into success. Like they are just head nose to the grindstone, get shit done, and they end up being some of like the greatest players of all time. So I like those I like to even look at too, just in myself of trying to be like someone like that, you know? So You put yourself in that category? I wouldn't put myself in that category. I'm not I'm not Anywhere close to being even close to the greatest of all time. Don't you already have be, a record, though? Don't you already have the touchback record? Yeah, I mean, season? yeah, a lot, my rookie year, I set the um, highest touchback percentage in NFL history. But, I mean, that's – I'm trying to go for the, – where I make my money and where you make your your history is if you have, like – I mean, Justin Tucker right now is statistically the best kicker that's ever kicked in the NFL. What's, a, what's a good percentage? You're kicking in the 70s? <clears throat> You gotta be if you want to stay on a team. You gotta be above like 85, 90, oh, wow. or eighty five to like eighty seven. That's where you can stay on a team, get relatively paid well, have some consistency over time, and you have like a grace period. If you're up in the nineties, I mean you're gonna sign big. If you're down in like the eighties, it's kind of like a revolving door, and that's kind of like where I'm at. So I'm trying to improve. Obviously, everyone's trying to improve statistically. It's just kind of what you, what you do kicking wise. But um, if I can sit in that above 85% on a, a continual basis, 9, 10, 11 year have career. You, have you um, identified what the areas of weaknesses, what your areas of weaknesses are that you need to work on in order to, to get there? Yeah, so to be honest, like the first couple areas was I just haven't kicked for a long time. Um, I played linebacker in high school. I kicked in high school, but I really wasn't like focused on kicking. So I really started trying to be a kicker once I got to college. And so I took four years of college of kicking and I didn't really understand it very well. And the way my mind works is like, I mean, we, we talk about all the time, like I don't let you prescribe me anything that I'm not like either A, understand it, or B, that you've explained it in great detail with me. And it's not me questioning you. It's like, I can't get what I want to get done if my brain can't like shut off and just know what I'm doing is the correct stuff. So kicking-wise, like, I mean, I, I think last year was one of the first times that I actually could walk out on the practice field and know exactly, like, A, B, and C, what I want to accomplish when I kick. Versus, I mean, 
I even get it sometimes in the weight room, and I don't know how you guys feel about it when you're lifting, but like you're in a squat pattern, right? And you're like, this is my squat pattern. But like if someone came in and like really questioned like, hey, I feel like you're a little bit too tight. I think you need to widen your base. Would you be able to like defend that that quickly? Or would you be susceptible, susceptible to be saying like, well, maybe I do need to like spread my legs out. Like maybe I'm not optimizing like my levers or doing this or doing that. So there's all that stuff that goes into it. So last year was one of the, one of the first times I felt confident enough where if someone came and told me, Hey, I feel like you need to do this with your kicking. I'd be like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, Who said that? I have a I have a coach that I work with on a continual basis, Dan Orner, um, out of Charlotte, and then I got a guy that I worked with back in high school, and another guy that I'm kind of like uh, got a contract with. That they all have like different philosophies. Like kicking is still like a philosophy based, technical aspect, right? Like I am a quad guy, so I roll my my foot over so I can utilize strongest muscle down low for me when I'm kicking and then a lot of guys are like groin guys so you'll see like Cairo Santos for Chicago is a smaller groin guy like he's like five foot eight and he uses his groin he's had a bunch of injuries throughout his career because he realizes his groin that muscle is not supposed to raise like it's supposed to when you kick right so like there's certain aspects like that Steven Goskowski just came back this past year played for the um, Tennessee Titans he had to get surgery last year when he played for the Patriots because he's a six foot three growing guy. It just so happens that he was 12, 13 years into his career before he finally needed surgery. So um, there's a couple of different ways you want to do that. And then I'm like a wide plant guy. Justin Tucker is a wide plant guy. He talks about it kind of during some of his interviews that he's just trying to What's get downfield. So you got the ball, you got your plant foot. So for me, I'm a right footed kicker. Um, my left foot where it plants and how far away from the ball it plants is gonna dictate how I can extend through my right leg up through the ball and then get off my left leg. So if I jam my left foot close to the ball, then sometimes the only cop out for you to swing on a ball is to open your foot up, fillet it, right? And, and use your groin. Cause it's just the way your body position is gonna be. The only way for me to get my foot on the ball is to open my foot up, use my groin. If I'm a little bit further away from the ball, my left leg on my plant, then I'm able to get my, my foot rolled over. I can get my shoulders kind of turn a little bit better. My hip can come through. I can get rotation on it, all that stuff. So there's a lot of stuff in that aspect that kind of goes into it. And that's where working with Jordan, understanding like biomechanics and like how the body's supposed to move in different situations and different body positions is important for me because I can optimize what I'm trying to do. So how do you, you deal? Can just go ahead and rip it off. Bro, just, just open it, ahead. dude. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I've been trying to it on a roll. I'm fucking up. Go. How do you um because I can I can definitely uh, relate with what you're saying about having coaches with different philosophies trying to pull you in one direction or the other. Like I'm personally experiencing that with boxing. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious, how do you deal with uh, like divergent opinions? How do you know, you know, how do you know who to listen to? Um, and I think it even goes to some of the stuff that we're, we've been talking about since I've been here is like you have to know your information well enough or at least at a level where you can comprehend it and know that there are pillars and facts that like can't be wavered like no matter what someone says to you this is fact like this isn't a philosophy based thing and so then you kind of go based off if someone comes up and talks to you 
about something and that pillar isn't in it and that's like something that they use as like a philosophy then that's where I'm like you're spouting bullshit to me you know what I'm saying like you obviously either A don't know what you're talking about or B you might even be kind of behind me in understanding of what we're doing because you don't know that this is fact yet like Mm -hmm. I believe that my a wide plant foot is a fact like it just is because if I want to swing like I want to I have to get my foot wide Mm -hmm. if not like you try to go out and kick a ball and you put your foot as close as you can to the ball you can't roll your quad down over it unless your knees facing over the ball it's just the way your body is going to be positioned but if you lean away from it you have a wide enough plant Mm -hmm. you can get that quad to kind of show on the ball you get your foot flayed on it like that's Mm -hmm. just kind of how the body position has got to be so if someone comes up and tells me hey I think you need to move your plant in I'm going to tell them I think that you're kind of an idiot like I don't think (laughs) that you understand really what you're talking about Um, it's not that then, then the whole problem becomes like well I've had success doing this right like Graham Gano had went like 93%, 94% of the series. He's been kicking the league for a long, long time. He's been a couple-time pro bowler. He plants pretty close to the ball. But he also leaves his foot open for a wedge, and he also has had a lot of knee problems. Also, he wing. might be the exception, not the rule. Yeah, exactly. Because people love doing that. Oh, but look at this guy, how he does it, yeah. and he's successful doing it. And so what? But how many people is that applicable to? What was that principle? We were listening to that book on the way up to Tampa, and it was the idea that like people associate like the outcome to what they do, even though the outcome could be completely independent to what they think they're doing. Resulting. Resulting, yeah, yeah that mm-hmm. idea. I think that you, you see that in play here. Like mm-hmm. he's, when it comes to mechanics and stuff, and so he listens to me and you don't, but both of you, I think, are both like he's probably from a principal standpoint of biomechanics, one of the smartest athletes I've ever worked with. Mm-hmm. So because he can he'll push back and challenge. And it's like, I better have a good answer because he knows the first principles. So I think and that that's true, I think, of any professional athlete, like there better be a certain level of inquisition that leads you to your own like your own research on it. If you know more about <clears throat> how to use fucking TikTok filters or whatever as a pro athlete and you don't know as much about your own body it's like what's going to make you your money is it your TikTok filters or is it your fucking body <laughs> so like he's done the diligence of like actually knowing the damn thing so when we have conversations it's very much like a back and forth of like well what do you think of this because of this it's like well yeah that could work and like sometimes it's like he'll call a shot it's like hey I don't have this machine I was thinking about doing this or this I'm at this facility this weekend like uh, yeah, that sounds great. Or maybe, hey, do they have this? Yeah, great. Let's do that. Okay, I see why based off of the first principles that he's like he knows why I made that decision, and then he can just go in and execute. Okay, I want to take a second here just to give another shout out to our sponsor, State Classy Meats. These guys, we've been using them for quite some time now, actually, long before they were uh, a sponsor on the show, and they make some of the best stuff that I have ever had. And unlike a lot of meat companies that keep it pretty basic, you can have freaking wagyu burgers tomahawk steaks you can think of it they have it and that can arrive straight to your door uh stay classy sources from ranchers who are for the animals which means they allow the animals to graze in a stress-free environment and if you know anything about hunting or uh eating meat in general that is super important to the quality and the taste of the meat stay classy is also committed to keeping their meat hormone and antibiotic free so when you get this meat you know you're just getting meat you know exactly what's in it they cater to athletes who require the best quality products to put in their body nutrition is the base of our existence the better the quality of the inputs the less stress out our bodies will be 
and the more efficient it'll run. They are all about quality, convenience, and small batch. So definitely check these guys out. Like I said, they make the best stuff. Code HYBRID in all caps will get you guys 10% off. So try some bougie burgers, try some other awesome meat, and uh, enjoy. Enjoy a little discount on us. All right, now let's get back to the episode. Thank you guys for listening. I think that's something with like, with some athletes, you brought up Cam, right? Like Cam went vegan. Like, what are you doing, man? Like, why are you making this? Like, you could be one of the, not saying that you can't get it done. Like, what's his name? The, is it Kendrick Ferris? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Olympic weightlifter in the yeah. States. Like, and there's debate about whether or not he's actually vegan. Oh, he's just sitting there ripping ribeyes when no one's looking. <laughs> he just got like a, like a. Heard gr- some rumors. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. I'd love to see about like a 4th <laughs> of July barbecue. Just like a five guys. Yeah. I can't. Confirm or deny whether that's right. true. So Kendrick, don't don't get upset with that. I can come at me. I don't give a show. <laughs> but I think it's it's like come back to this point about like the hard work versus talent and talent working hard or hard work versus hard work, um, kind of beating talent when it doesn't work hard. Uh-huh. It's like when you feel like you're in a certain camp and, and it's like you need to use every tool at your disposal. Like you watch some of these guys lift, like and we know some pro football players. We're not going to like name names that do some stuff that it's like eh. I don't really know if that's doing any good. I don't really know if there's any some sound principles behind that. But you're a freak and you're going to do whatever you want anyways. But I feel like when you get a perfect storm of like someone who might think they're on the other side but actually has some real talent and you get them smart and working hard, then it's like pretty good. How many times did you take a crack at the distance record last season? Uh, Twice. I had the 65-yarder against New Orleans and the 67-yarder against Kansas City. And at 61 yards is the record 64? 64. I would have had it at New Orleans if we weren't in New Orleans or below sea level. So I didn't really think about that. Like one of my kind of uh, mentors in kicking, Shane Graham, who kicked at Virginia Tech, kicked in the league for like 16 years or whatever. He uh, texted me. He's like, I know exactly what you're thinking. You're strong enough to make that kick. You're in New Orleans. Like, understand you're in a dome under sea level. Like, if you were in. Well, what's, what's that do yeah, for yeah. a kick? I'm interested. Just you're elevation. talking like a like a sniper, dude. You're like well, partially in the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you're up in if, if you're up in Denver, Mile High, obviously air pressure is what less. Yeah, uh, you're at eight thousand yeah. feet. Wow, so you, you really have to think about that stuff. Yeah, that's so crazy. Yeah, you got a ball, the ball's it's air, and it's gonna fly further. So I mean, the record, I believe, is held by Matt Prater. Um, he's with the Lions now, but I believe he got the record when he was in Denver. Um, I, I feel mean, like then all records should be broken in the same place under the same conditions. But and I mean, if you're realistic. so, if you're doing the Olympics and you're in Denver, right? Are you going to tell me that the mile record, or sorry, if you're in, yeah, if you're if you're tra- sorry, if you're training at a lower elevation and you have more oxygen in there, and they break a record for a long distance race, are you gonna like? change yeah. the way you do things if you're in Mexico yeah. City yeah. or if you're in Denver or you're a fit, if you're wherever you know what I'm saying like you yeah. can't no mm-hmm. like I'm not gonna all of a sudden say like this is a record only in like now they have like track records right like you go just if you watch some of the like Olympic trials or anything like that like there's certain track records because I don't know if it's just what they want to do with the actual building or the place that they're doing the event so that they have like these whatever history of whatever yeah. but at the same time, like there's there's a reason why they do it at certain places or they favor certain places because they know if this guy wants to break the record, he's going to do it in wherever. Mm-hmm. Usain Bolt's going to run as fast there, as There have been ex- like extreme cases where, I can't remember if it was Athens or uh, Beijing, but they basically had to scrap an entire track 
because in testing they found out that it was like actual measurable speed differences like people were able to run on it faster it was like a new technology and then they dialed it back well that's a, the thing they did with uh, the swimsuit right yeah, yeah, like, exactly. that was like a big thing they were wrapping Dude, with well what is with this shit it's like oh they're swimming too fast <laughs> what do they not have access to it they're all at the highest level bro i want to see them swim right. fast where a motor if you have to like i don't care that's what's going to fins and a snorkel that's like that's, that's hayden's 100 meter dash Dude. i forgot who had the argument but Honestly, when you said his name, I think it might be Bill Burr, but there was someone that was talking about, like, why are we telling baseball players to, like, stop taking steroids? Like, oh, do it, we it was Rogan. It was Rogan. Yeah, it was Rogan. Was it Rogan? Yeah, like, they're, they're, dude, hilarious. Dude, I want to see home runs. <laughs> yeah. Like, we, you go to a baseball game, you want to see people just launching baseballs out of the stadium. So, hey, if you want to take steroids... Olympic weightlifting is a perfect example for that, of that. It's like we, we want to see people clean and jerking 600 pounds. That's what we want to see, right? We don't want to see these little squiggly, skinny dudes clean and jerking 200 pounds, right? Uh-huh. Of course. I mean, that's, that's like just the nature of humanity. We always want to see what the biggest and the fastest and the strongest and, you know, max out all of those categories. And if you have the technology or whatever you want to call it, to achieve more than what's done naturally. There's like a pretty good argument for that. But anyway, I, I want to oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I, was well, I was just going to say nat- uh, like nature isn't a baseline, right? Like you got guys in the UFC or I'm sure if you did a hormone panel on guys who never ran crank, like they're going to have like more testosterone and more androgens than some other guys, right? Like there are guys who have like, there's triple, like triple X syndrome. So there's females that literally get born that are born with more male characteristics and have more androgens. So it's mm-hmm. like, does everyone just get titrated to the same level? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, all right, weird. everyone has to come in with this much free testosterone and like we're doing blood work. And then what kind of crazy ass cheating would happen if you did that? No, that, right? that's part of natural selection of sports, right? You, you read the sports scene by David. Ips- <laughs> yeah. My ex-wife was on it. Oh yeah. 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 That's read right. that one. Yeah. You kind of had to, didn't you? <laughs> no, I want I wanted to ask about uh, your relationship with your coaches and cuz you have an inquisitive mind and you challenge what people tell you. So I'm curious, obviously like with Jordan, he's very receptive to that and he almost enjoys that, but I'm curious to know like how does your how do your other coaches receive that? Like when you ask a ton of questions or when you challenge what they're saying, you know, what's their initial reaction? I think um, I've done a relatively good job of coming to them originally and kind of saying like I am very interested in what you guys do as a profession so when I start with that I think they understand like this kid isn't questioning me because he thinks I'm wrong I think this kid understands that he's questioning me because he wants to learn information now there's some people that are like I get that you like what you what I do like again I'm not going to name any names but there's people that are like hey I really like that you you want to be here like I don't want to answer all your questions. Like, <laughs> if you want to, if you want to figure that out, like, go look it up online. And I think that's a huge problem because, mm-hmm. shit, you look on the internet at so, well, what some of these people are saying that you should do for your body or what you oh, should do. That's a shit for, show. For, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, an absolute like Joel Siedelman over there. Yeah, I mean, if, if you Google this stuff, like, I mean, if we get into a whole completely different tangent, like, you're talking about like who controls like what you see. So like, mm-hmm. how do I even know if this is factual evidence? Like. Uh, yeah, I got to go on to, I got to, I went to school for it to, to understand like if a test is valid or not. What did like, you go to school for? Uh, human nutrition, food and exercise at Virginia Tech. So like, I mean, this was strength and conditioning is like what I want to do when football's over. 
Um, and then even deeper into what we've talked about at certain points of trying to, I wouldn't say revolutionize what we're doing, but what you kind of referred to with some of the athletes and, and the camps that they work with, like, it's scary to me on both sides. It's scary to me that it happens, and it's scary to me that it might happen to me of saying, and the reason why I question you so much is like, I want to know if my camp is going to make me better. Like, what if you're boxing right now and you have all the trust in your coach, right? And like, this is the the problem that I think a lot of athletes have is they aren't deep indulged in in and well versed in what they're what they're doing, so they don't even know what to question. So a guy comes in and they're hooked up to some random machine that this coach made, and you're sitting there going. What the hell is this kid doing? Like, mm-hmm. but they're like, "Hey, man, this this guy's a six-time Pro Bowler. Like, you're gonna tell me like this isn't working for him?" It's like, no, I'm gonna tell you that he's doing that in spite of the dumb shit that you're coaching him mm-hmm. on. But then if you go to talk to him, he's sold on it. Like, mm-hmm. he's brainwashed into thinking like, "Nope, this is what makes me better on Sundays. This is what gives me the advantage over everyone else." It's like, no, it's not. The, the scary thing is you have an advantage over everyone else and you haven't even tapped into 50% of your true potential. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like you're going to have a six year career because of the, the dumb shit your coach is telling you. And it's going to be hidden behind this. Oh, he had a fluke injury because he got hit on the side or blah, blah, Like, no, like if you're training correctly, you're going to minimize that injury. I mean, obviously depending on what's going to happen in that injury, but you can't stop all injuries from happening, but you can at least, how to eliminate the severity of it, right? The frequency in which they happen as well. Manage the risk. So then I've managed it. So now instead of a six-year career, you got an eight-year career, Mm -hmm. you sign that third contract, that dude's not working for the rest of his life. His family's taken care of for generations. Yeah. But if he signs in six, he only got that one big contract. He doesn't get that second big contract. He had a four-year rookie deal that he got screwed on. He might have had a nice selling bonus. He got a big, maybe a two-year big spike in, in a contract, but they only wanted to kind of test him a little bit or even too like, I mean, we, we saw this last week with all the signs, like you got franchise tagging and stuff that the NFL can do. Other sports have a little bit better. What is that? Sorry. Franchise tagging. What's that? So if you're a player that either a, the team deems as you had a great year last year, but we don't really know if we want to pay you yet, or we know we're going to have to pay you big time. So we want to kind of see like what, if we don't have to pay you as much, they give you a franchise tag. So you'll take the, I think it's the combined of the top five players at your position, and you'll get the average of that for your contract for a year. So the good thing about that is you get a lot of money up front, right? Like you get the contract of, a, of the top five players averaged to you, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes that's a huge contract. Like Dak Prescott just had to go through this a bunch with the Cowboys. But then he just destroyed his ankle this year. And luckily, to um, Jerry Jones' credit and the, the Cowboys' credit, they paid him because they know how important he, they, they feel he is to the franchise. And, and I think a lot of people were kind of coming after him like, dude, you got to pay this kid. He's giving you a lot. you got to pay him. Paid him $40 million a year over the next five, six, something years. But at the same time, like, they could have went the reverse route and said, dude, you tore your ankle up. We don't know if you're going to be the same quarterback anymore. We franchise tagged you last year. We might franchise tag you again, and if you're not the player that we expect you to be the next year because you just came back from an injury, you know we're gonna pay you <laughs> half half of what we were gonna pay you the year before, or we're gonna get rid of you. We're gonna bring in some rookie that we draft next year, and like it just it's a it's a scary. 
kind of tag, right? Like you can either increase it or decrease it. And a lot of times, I mean, I don't know the manipulation even sometimes on the top end, but what if they have a running back that they franchise tag and then they split carries with someone the next year and they don't have the numbers and they don't sign them for as much as they did the year before when they used the crap out of them on a rookie uh, Like deal. you think they do, would do that intentionally? I, I don't think they would because I, I, I think that if you're franchise tag, you're too good of a player, so they're not going to do that. But, I mean, it's it's a fear I think a lot of players are going to have is like, dude, I just had a breakout year and you're going to franchise tag me? Like, pay me, right? Like, mm-hmm. don't do not do this. Like, But on the uh, to the credit of the organizations and the owners and stuff, it's like, what if this dude was decent a rookie year, decent year two, had a great year three? We want to franchise tag him just to make sure that year three was like, might have been a fluke. You might have been a great player. Right. Year three, year four, you've become injury prone. You might have been hiding a couple injuries here and there we didn't know about. And now we just paid you $23 million to be a middle linebacker. And in two years, we're trying to trade you, cut you. We got dead cap space. We got all this stuff that's happening just because we didn't franchise tag you. So it goes both ways. You can kind of see both sides of it. Obviously, on the player side, I'm going to try to go more towards the players getting money because. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, I mean, every every league is a player and league, but um, I do understand the business side of it, right? Like they're investing money in you. If you're a stock and I invest money in you, you're not performing. I don't keep investing in you. Right? Mm-hmm. I pull my money from you, and I don't I don't continually lose and hemorrhage because you're not performing to what I expected you to. So I get that aspect as well, but um, that's when you gotta kind of keep the player and money things kind of separate the emotions out of it. Well, I think it's interesting because like watching you and like the boxing stuff and like sort of getting like more familiar with fight sports and from UFC to whatever mixed martial arts, jujitsu and, and boxing. It's like that is so obviously a business, right? Because it's just one individual and like self-promotion plays such a huge role. But I don't think people realize the value of that <clears throat> or how much of the business decisions drive how like those contracts work. Like you're trying to the purpose of a business is to make money, right? So if you're an owner, you know that you literally have a country full of kids that are willing to take the next spot. So it's it's hard, like, when you, as you get closer to it, you see how the perception of expendability in the pro athletes, where it's like, ah, we, you know, we, we lose a middle linebacker, we're just gonna, <laughs> you good? Can you get that fucking thing out of the wrapper, please? <laughs> I'm just playing, I did the same thing. But it's like the the owners just see a country full of kids that are going to come up for middle linebacker. They don't see this particular individual. So I I don't think I was. I mean, you think you kind of know growing up, but when you get that closer, you're like, fuck, man. Like that's kind of scary to think that, you know, yeah. If you split carries with a guy one season, that could be that could be the start of a de- a decline. Then, but the, to me, the the potential and kind of like seeing how this moves into the future is like if we can get some of these freaks in the right room with the right people mm-hmm. like what could we see if they're not you know we're not taking the best athletes in the world and hooking them up to the tesla coil in the suitcase and we're like all right this is strength and conditioning now it's like what if we kind of had this coalesce like i think you're going to see guys i think you're going to see the career athletes the 15 year guys be a more common thing moving forward and it's not going to be like the well, it was Chelios when he retired, like 65, right? Or yeah. like, you know, Brady's how old? 43? 43. Right. And then I think the there's a there's a lot of issues. And I mean, Steffi, we were talking about it the other day. Like, you got 
an array of issues within the strength and conditioning community, I wouldn't know, community, industry. whatever industry that's happening at the sports level where you have a combination of guys that have just done it for so long that obviously they're a guru. They've been in the strength and conditioning for 35 years. So obviously everything this dude says is like the holy grail. Like this is, they know everything that's going on. It's like, what if they just never got fired? You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> you got some of these guys, like if, if I, if I'm a strength coach and, and not to slight them at all, but like if you're going to Alabama, Ohio state, LSU, Clemson, and you're a strength coach, just send them out on on Saturday. Just let them play. You got a five star kid that's six foot five, three hundred and fifteen pounds. Yeah, just don't fuck them up. Just <laughs> don't. And so that's what you end up having is you have a bunch of strength coaches that are like instead of getting this dude to be the best in the weight room to then benefit his on the field playing. It's I don't want to mess with the on the field playing. Right. So I'm not gonna fuck with them in the weight room. And that's like. I think the Achilles heel is like you just you just pretty much gave him like if you want him to play for a long time and you want him to not worry about Sundays or Saturdays or whatever they play, you gotta take care of him sure. in the weight room. But the way of taking care of him in the weight room is not to give them less prescriptions. Right. You know, it's not it's even cr- to give them more, it's to give them the right Dude, prescription. They, right? They all it's want- crazy to me. What's crazy to me is that until I've been face to face with somebody like you or any of the other NFL players or high or professional athletes that I've had the pleasure of talking to that have come to hybrid, I I think I felt like I had full um trust in the system and how it worked in professional sports and it wasn't until i had these types of conversations that i realized and because of you guys explaining it just the lack of competency of some of these strength coaches and it's it's crazy and it, i didn't know that players would form their own camps outside of what's provided to them by their own team can you talk a little bit about that and how that has become a thing yeah and so i think this is gonna Sorry that this is going to start as kind of a long answer, but the problem really begins at the high school level, right? So like high school lifting sets you up for whatever you're going to do in college, right? So the call, we want to, sometimes we want to kind of go after college coaches and say like, you're not doing enough. Sometimes the first two years of a strength coach at college is fixing all the shit that you just did in high school because the high school strength coach is a gym teacher that goes to Planet Fitness and has you doing do we were and i love my coaches in high school to death like i see them all the time we were max squatting on a friday and then going out and running in the in august 16 110s like on the minute so we had guys like getting shot getting popped <laughs> as they're running like that sniper movie, right yeah, yeah sniper <laughs> shooters on the roof boom hammy boom hammy boom hammy <laughs> <laughs> and they're sitting there like, oh, you're not tough enough. It's like, dude, you're actually so tough for even getting your legs moving after you just failed out. Dude, we were going in there and our max might have been 365. Yeah, and I was, I was like, it was probably horrendous too. I wish there was like oh. just the Instagram gym clips of like the whole hype crew turning up for like the knee knocked in, failed squat, four spotters lifting the guy up. And then that's exactly what, so at the high school level, you have this problem, right? So then at, when you get to the college level, you have a guy that has gotten three, four, maybe five years of terrible, <laughs> uneducated lifting experience. So then the first two years of a strength program at a college level, you either have a strength coach that just says, ah, we can't fix that right now, we gotta get them ready for Saturday. We're just gonna go ahead and load them where we can 
and we won't load them where we can, and we're just going to go, right? So now you have a kid that can't squat that runs a 4-4-40. Like, are you kidding me? Because he can't dorsiflex his ankle because he doesn't know how to do any of that stuff. And so you're like, why don't we fix that? Well, we can't because we've got to get him ready for Saturday. So he's he's kind of handcuffed it a little bit in that situation. Or you finally do kind of get a kid that you can progress through and he's not the top athlete. He's kind of one of those guys that just whatever. So then you get that at the college level. They finally learn how to lift, and then that strength coach is gone. And then they're at the NFL level. And if I it, and I'm speaking just from the NFL side of it, if I play for the Panthers for two years or three years, and then I go to the New York Giants, that might be two different coaching philosophies. And then I go to the and I get traded to the Seahawks, and then I get traded to the Los Angeles Rams, and then I get. So I go to 18 different teams that are going to have 18 different strength coaches that some of them might have 18 different philosophies. And you think that they should all have the same one. They're all in the same level of sport. They all should have the same education. They might all, all have 18 different ways of doing it. And so you're just kind of like, you know what? I got a guy on the side that's been training me since I was in whatever, right? So you can have that aspect. So for, for me, if I go somewhere, you're still my, my coach, right? And I'm going to make sure that my strength coach at that – that that program has a relationship with you so that I don't walk in there and say, hey, fuck you, man. I don't believe anything that you do. It's going to say, hey, there's nothing against you. I have a guy that I work with. And mm-hmm. if you can't get past that, we're going to butt heads a little bit. But most of them are going to respect the fact that, hey, I came to you. I got a guy. We're going to work through this. But some of the issues is you got a friend from back home that didn't make it in the league but has a gym now, right? And like uh-huh. he likes to work out. He's the juiced up running back that has no mobility that couldn't cut but he also he shredded up let's go work out with him and so you go home you work out with him he writes your training programs for you there's nothing to it except for an instagram video that you're going to post later that looks really really cool <laughs> and then guess what you guys did bicep curls all year your shoulder mobility sucks you just freaking tore your labrum this season because you can't move and is your boy going to help you rehab no you're going to be calling you you're going to be calling some guru out there that's going to try to help you and hopefully mm-hmm. you throw the dart at the dartboard and you hit the right one because you might find yeah, one that's that, crazy that makes no sense well because like i see the ascension from high school athlete and i see the same trajectory for the pro strength coaches right just like a high school athlete comes out of high school doesn't know might not know what he's doing gets there by maybe good talent like obviously good talent hard work or a good situation gets into a good program does well the program is it just has a pedigree of success you, know, you go to ohio you go to michigan like you go to lsu or you go to one of these big schools like you're going to get looked right like you're going to get a look you're going to get a look at the draft but it's like i see the strength coach pattern the same way it's like you know if you're dealing with high school kids you don't necessarily have to give a shit and if you've got to teach first you know uh, first quarter pe or whatever on top of doing that it's like are you going to put in the due diligence to really go deep on teaching a 14 year old kid how to squat Hey, you're just going to throw him in the room and throw on some fucking E40 and just let him go nuts. It's like, yeah, whatever, fuck it. Right. So it's like the idea, the the 110 gassers when it's fucking 95 in the middle of summer for a sport whose average play duration is 5.6 seconds. It's like that started for some guy in high school who watched Remember the Titans and was like, just wanted to be the best coach Boone. It was like fatigue is army clothes. And it's like, okay, like whatever. <laughs> but I mean, that even comes from the fact like, and it's outdated as all as 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 anything, but like we're we're talking about coaches that used to coach in an era where they say, "Don't drink water. If you drink water, you're weak." So they go the entire practice without drinking water. Wow. And I mean, you hear these old coaches when they're talking about, "Oh, back in my day, we used to." Build. 
Yeah, back in their day, they used to not drink any water the entire time they played. Not advisable. If you well, did that now, there was a kid that died in Maryland like three years ago, yeah. passed out. That strength coach is going to go to jail, possibly, right? Mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Ah, he's weak. Yeah. Your boy, but if your you boy back, is not <laughs> mentally strong enough to be a football player. Go, go send him to soccer or something. It's like, it's like, what are you whoa, talking whoa, whoa, whoa. about? But if you go back to like soccer, players, I played soccer. I played soccer whoa, my whoa, entire whoa, life. Whoa, I love soccer, but it's, soccer? it's how it used to be. It's like this kid can't hang and is not tough enough to play football. Go send him to do something else. It's like. Dude, he just passed out because he literally hasn't drank any water all day. Like, it's, what well, it's, at some point, it's letting go of the old guard, right? Because it's, but it's hard because you got to be able to curate like the proper direction moving forward. Because if you take that like two hundred thousand years ago, and you go, "That's eh, the way we used to do it." It's like, yeah, you also live to twenty-seven, right? Yeah. So it's probably not the best way. Yeah. Like the idea that the way we've done it is the way we always do it. Like for me, it's. The hor- you sent me your first program when we first started working together. That was my program. It was yeah, but you learned it from high school. You learned it from it was the horizontal push, horizontal oh, yeah. pull, and you're like, "Yo, where's my horizontal pull?" I was like, "What did you just say to me? Who told you that? Who taught?" You? And but it's that's I've been in enough like college strength. Program. Yeah, but that's what it is. Like push this way, pull this way, pull this way, push this way, do a squat and a hinge, and then that's your programming. It's like especially with football. Like football is five different sports. You know, like in maybe in a half decent weight room based off of logistics, you will they'll break it down into bigs and skills. Right? So you'll get bigs and skills, you got fifty five guys in. It's usually they've they have done a better job of breaking it up now. It's it's big, like a big skill group, so linebackers, tight ends, DMs, and then skill. So I mean they they are starting to even break that up, but I mean I still don't think it's like I don't you have 55 different people. Prescription, like per person. Like I don't understand. Well, I think it comes from the fact that it's like there's just there's a there's a human economics to it where it's like, okay, we could protect our investment by spending like there's there's strength coaches in the end or the NHL that make five hundred thousand dollars a year, right? Pittsburgh Penguins. Mm-hmm. Right? Andy O'Brien is the performance director of the Pens, and I'm sure Andy's pulling a half rack a year, without a doubt. Because here they go, look, we have like a Geno Malkin and we have a fucking Sidney Crosby. We have maybe 24 or 25 guys on an active roster. Let's coach 25 different people rather than three different positions, goalie, defenseman, and forward. Right? So it's like NFL, dude. I was I was in a preseason camp at, at, the, at Levi Stadium with the Niners. Mm-hmm. You, it's like walking into Jurassic Park. You got 90 guys. All of them over six foot. Some guys knocking on six eight. Anywhere ranging between you know low two hundreds up into the mid threes. You're gonna write an individual program for all three or all, all ninety people when you know that if you just kind of put them through like an old Russian Olympic camp, it's like all right, well we, we throw enough pressure at this, we'll get a few diamonds, mm-hmm. right? And those who can't make it will just fall off, and we'll replace them with the next batch. But I think if you started to prioritize like the 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 commodity and like started to look at athletes like a commodity like especially at the professional level it's like if you really fostered each individual need and wrote a program to it and the guys are getting smart man like the second lebron was like yo i spent what one and a half a year right 1.2 it's like that set the precedent for athletes to be like oh he makes 137 a contract he spends one a year and then if you can get another one of those contracts that's a great investment Mm-hmm. Right, so I think there is an onus being pushed, but the hard part now is it's creating a fringe market. Right, it's creating a fringe of guys like me, like Steph, that sit on the sidelines and go, 
yo, that's kind of, hmm. And some people are sitting there with a Tesla coil in the suitcase and like the, you know, the death of a salesman pitch. But that's a problem, right? 100%. So like, what if you do have a competent strength coach and now you got 90 guys who all have their own guys, you know? Yeah. Like, that's got to be extremely frustrating because are they finding 90 good guys? Probably not. Sure. There's probably a lot of Tesla suitcases And then out there's there. then there's just, because like, I've, I've spoken with Jeremy a handful of times and I got to give like, you know, credit where credit's due. He's like, yeah, great. One less guy I got to worry about. So we had a conversation when we started working together and he's like, okay, I got a weight room full of guys I got to concern myself with. There's one less dude I got to concern myself with. So it's just a vetting process, I think, right? Or you you pony up the dough inside the company and it's like these guys are doing it on their own. As long as you don't obstruct that, mm -hmm. I think you're going to start to see that become more common because it's like you're, it's like it's like cops in America. You're going to spend forty five thousand dollars on a person to protect your city. It's like maybe you want to invest a little bit more into the guy with the gun, and mm -hmm. it's like you got to what's a strength coach? I don't know. They probably pull a hundred, two hundred, maybe. But it's like you're protecting million dollar assets, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of assets. It's like you maybe want to invest a little bit more into that. Like in in the military. You protect the nurse, right? That's what right. you want to do. That's like some art of war shit. And I think if, or if you still didn't buy me that book, you said you were gonna buy me that book. I don't know where you get off on this stuff. You have a list of what you, are you? She you can't remember dude. like the most basic. I like, can't remember ten thirty showing up. When did I? <laughs> didn't ever he tell say? You? Didn't he say I'm gonna buy you that book and gonna give it to you? I don't know. Probably. Is this on the podcast? Because you can go back and get it. If not, okay. I don't. I don't remember it. It's not in history. But I'll get you the book. Okay. Okay, I'm waiting for right. it. See. Okay, go on. Um, but no, it's like the art of war. Like one of the things is you got to protect the nurse, right? Uh -huh. And I don't think people value the implications on like just the final outcome, let alone like the, the personal side of things of what it means to be able to foster someone through that. Like you got to worry about one thing. He'll, he'll talk about some shit. Uh, I, hey, bro, like I watched this thing. I was like, kickballs, homie. Like kickballs. Like that's how many times I text him kickballs. Yeah. It's just like well, I can't work the freaking Excel sheet. Like right. So like, yo, bro, the spreadsheet didn't load. And it's like, did you hit bro. the refresh button? Yeah. I did. Like, oh, yo, yo. <laughs> like literally, I'll miss it. Like a text message. I'll get a text, and I'll get three more texts right after that. Yo, bro, program for today. And it's already in the spreadsheet. It just hasn't like refreshed Loaded, on his end because I think he just has one window open the entire time. And then I get like two more times. Oh, never mind. There it is. <laughs> and it's just like, dude, just, kick, just kick balls. Like, don't worry about anything else. But I think guys now are like, they're kind of getting, they're getting smarter because they see the protection of their own investment. And then, but they don't, they don't know who to trust. They look around like, ah, I don't know. This sounds like bullshit. This is, what's the Tesla coil doing here? What's he doing? And it can take away and distract. Like, and especially with a skill like kicking, like he's trying to kick himself off the ground. Like it's the craziest thing to watch in slow motion, and like, and I imagine like pitching is something similar when you watch it. You're like, well, how the fuck? Like, if you ever watch a pitcher in slow motion? Yeah, it's like how do your arm go right where it went? Yeah, that's pretty weird. So it's like I couldn't imagine having like an ounce of doubt or having like that's got to be so flow state. Yo, I kind of want you to teach me how to kick. I'm down. I feel like you can kind of be taught anything. So. Yeah, pretty much. And I mean, you have some kicking history. You played soccer for the national team. Yeah, yo, I was known in soccer for being able to score from the center field. Yeah, but then we can definitely try to work on the kicking. It's definitely going to be the first so you're female NFL walk on. NFL, yeah, when you're done boxing, let's get you kicking. See if you can <laughs> come yo, kicking. Is she going to have to be a groin kicker because she's a little? No. No, we're going quad. quad. Right, yeah, I think you got some of the quads for it. Quad steals, quad on her. But even yeah. so, but, but what you're saying with the strength coaching aspect of things is like, if you're, if you're a smart, 
well versed, like kind of, we, we, I keep throwing the phrase around guru of strength and conditioning. Are you going to go make $100,000 for a program that doesn't even really value you? No. Or are you going to be an independent contractor that's going to have all these NFL guys come to you mm-hmm. and make a couple million dollars a year? And you work with 17 of them, you write your prescription for them, and they value you because they know if I don't get right with my strength coach, like if LeBron James doesn't pay me my money, LeBron's not going to play until he's 50. Like he's probably going to. You know what I'm saying? Like Tom Brady's coach knows I got him to be playing at 43 and probably getting a 15th contract or some shit going into age 45. So it's, it's frustrating because there might be a bunch of great strength coaches that can't do the independent contracting route because they don't have a following of going here and knowing this guy and getting this done. And so, or the business sense even. Yeah. They just know how to coach really well. Mm -hmm. So you got to give them a platform or an understanding or a group of athletes to be like, Hey, you're smart shit. Go coach these guys. Right. Or then you have the guys that knew a guy that knew a guy that knew a guy that got them into Alabama's um, assistant straight coaching job. And then he went from being that guy to winning three national championships under Saban to going and now being the head strength coach of wherever. And you're like, the dude doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Like, Mm -hmm. how did he get there? And so it's that fine line between telling, saying to a coach, like, you don't know what you're talking about, or you're going to have to kind of sit back into someone going to an independent guy because you're just, you're devalued at your position. And it's 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 hard to see because, again, like some of the guys that I – Ben Hilgert at Virginia Tech, Anthony Crosby that I've hooked yeah. you up with, those guys are really what have given me the passion to want to be a strength coach long term, right? Like those, those two have set me on this path to being like, hey, man, if football doesn't work, like I'm going to be okay because I have this passion of wanting to be a strength coach and this continued drive of being like, Dude, I want to hit Jordan Shallow up randomly on a freaking Wednesday, being like, "Yo, bro, you're a big ass strength coach. You look like you know what you're talking about. You mind talk like calling me for a little bit? Well, let's talk shop and see like if we can write a program." And you're like, "Yeah, fuck yeah, dude, let's do it." DM right? slide. Yeah, slide. Joey slide. Slide the DM. Yeah, I'm like one of the, <laughs> so it was one of those situations where I was like, I feel like if we can get some of the people to have the resources or the greater reach of of having access to the athlete. I don't know what happens to strength coaches at the college. Now, one of the things too I will say at the college level is there's like a lot of like team building that the strength coach is for, right? So like let's not get away from just only being a strength coach. Like you have to be at the college level and a college football level, you see your strength coach more than you see any of your other coaches, right? So he's the one that's in charge of like setting the tone, right? And a lot of head coaches will talk about it like what you do in the offseason and and during your 6 a.m. workouts, which I don't know if they work or not, but they made me mentally tough and all that stuff, is those are the tone setting. Those are the team camaraderie stuff. Those and So, like, the team aspect of at the college level, I think, is really big. Because NFL is such a revolving door with, like, probably the back 65% of your roster, maybe it isn't something where you hire a strength coach that's on the staff. You just hire – a company or a group of coaches that you know like hey like whatever what if I don't have to go to workouts during the day that's scheduled in the NFL weight room where they know that I'm going to go get my work we get practicing in the morning and then I know that I'm from 
one o'clock on, I can go work with whoever independently I can work with, right? Like, who yeah. knows where that goes over time? But I think it, I think it has to almost progress closer to that because hiring a guy that is going to have forty of his of his um, players not really even do I, his program. I see teams budgeting for the independent contract within a contract for them. Like, hey, we're going to allot this much a year for you to go get your own guy. Because like, I couldn't agree more that, especially at the college level, like being at Stanford, like seeing the culture that the strength coach builds. Like, you guys, sure. you guys had Schlesson on the podcast? Corey Schlesinger? So Corey's a strength coach for the Phoenix Suns. And like, no, we haven't. So no. we, we worked together. We were at Stanford, and it's like his basketball team, like that was Corey's culture. Those kids were a direct byproduct because he spent more time with them. Yeah. But like, you know, you go to, you, you check in at 6 a.m., you're at the stadium, you're there till like 11, 12, do some film and you leave. Everyone's kind of like, it's, I don't think people realize like the team dynamic at the pro level, right? Because it's, you know, the, the money's there, there's the personalities are so contrasted. Like when you're 14 year olds playing hockey, it's like you're basically in a room with 13 other guys that are just like you. Mm -hmm. Right, like you go to a soccer or a hockey practice on a Thursday night, everyone kind of lives in a house with a roof, and their parents drive a minivan, and it's the most cohesive thing. Where it's like, you know, some guy just got off a plane and he got told he's getting traded, and it's like, well, we're not extending your contract. And another dude's he's fucking his old lady's got a another kid, and he's got another kid with another old lady, so he's fucking like in the corner, like sunglasses on, watching film but not watching film, <laughs> figuring out how he's going to pay the alimony checks. And one guy's hype because he just got an extension and he's going, yo, should I get like, sure. should I get the Rari or the Bugatti? And one dude's like just walking in like, what the fuck? Because it's such a, everyone's at such different levels on the, on the pro stage that like the culture doesn't necessarily, the culture doesn't necessarily get set. Like Belichick sets the culture, right? Mm -hmm. Like for that team, I would imagine. And say like, is that a true statement that the coach is going to set the culture more at the pro level and the strength coach is going to set the culture more mm -hmm. at, the, at the college level? Yeah, and I think it's also too like, I'll say my rookie year, we had a lot of veterans. Like we had Greg Olson, we had Luke, we had Chris Hogan. Like we had just had a bunch of guys that were like long-term, played in the league for a lot of years. So Coach Rivera, the way he ran things was more like, I'm going to let the veterans run the team. And not that it's like this player-ran team, but like I trust that Greg Olson is going to be a professional, and so I'll let Greg do what Greg does, and hopefully a rookie will see how Greg represents himself, and that's what he'll follow. Did you hear the thing about Brady when he came into the box? He was like, I want everyone's phone number. So, but I think that's still the coach's move to allow that to happen. But Bruce Aaron's Virginia Tech guy, Bruce is like, and I think they had some turmoil this year in the beginning of the year because I don't know if it's if Coach Arians was saying, you know what, like I'm going to be the head coach, I'm going to I'm going to coach this team, or if it was just like the the new Tom Brady's a different quarterback. We got Byron Leftwich who's getting mm -hmm. used to him as a. As a, as a quarterback versus James Winston. James Winston's probably going to air the ball out a little bit more. Tom Brady's going to be a little bit more conservative. He's got to run some choice routes, blah, blah, blah. Like, whatever that is, I don't know if the turmoil in the beginning of the year was based off that or if Tom Brady might have gone, like, week eight was like, you know what, dude? I don't fucking lose, right? I don't like losing, and I'm not going to keep losing anymore. And whatever we're doing right now is losing. So trust me. Let me do my thing that I've been doing for the last 13 years, and let me win you a Super Bowl. And Bruce Aarons is going like, you know what? I'm not going to argue with that because it's worked a lot. 
go ahead and take over the rest of the team. And uh, you hear a lot of the guys talking post this Super Bowl and about his work ethic and them doing this and them doing that. And you're going to follow a guy like that, right? The, the scary thing is when a head coach is like, all right, I'm going to let this guy lead the team. Dude's a bum, doesn't work out, doesn't train, doesn't care, doesn't come at practice, whatever. Does that, that happen? Like, have you seen that happen? I mean, I think that happens at high school, college, and NFL level. I think wow. you get a guy that is the – he might get paid a bunch. He might be the cool kid. He might – whatever, right? Like, there's going to – he's a, he's a following guy. Like, he brings a lot of people around him. And it can go really, really well or really, really bad, right? And if the coach allows that, and I think Rule, Coach Rule or Coach Now, doesn't – like he wants the, the players to take over, but it's kind of cool to watch him because he'll he'll set the course for, like, the players to run it. Like he, he lays, like, bumpers on a lane, and then he just lets the person bowl. And so you're like, oh, I got a strike. Like, didn't get a gutter ball this time. It's like – and he's like sitting in his office, like, yeah, no shit, because I set you up for that, right? Like, I mm-hmm. love Le- D Wade, LeBron, like, Alley Oop, like, I gave you that bucket, right? And so the player feels accomplished, like, yeah, we led this team. And he's not a very, like, I take credit for everything. But you know, he's sitting in his office, like, yeah, I mean, I set him up for that, right? That's why. And so he was successful at Temple, successful at Baylor. And I, and I can see him being very successful in the NFL with just the way he sets the players to, like, take over. But there is a foundation, I think, like what we're saying, is at the NFL level, the coach has to set it. College level, the strength coach is everything, but they get paid nothing. nothing. Mm-hmm. None. And, and, and then even on that, you got the head strength coach, like at Virginia Tech, Coach Hilgert circled the gym and made sure that everything was in order. Coach Crosby, Coach Schumann, Coach Simmons, Nick Akery, all those guys – were the ones that were really hands-on with us. Right. And they're getting paid like $45,000 oh, a year. Assistant strength coach? Wow. Yeah. You, Maybe. Yeah, you're just sleeping on a cot. And they just took a pay cut this last year because of COVID. And that's even if assistants get paid. Sometimes it's like some internship with the program. Where's all the money going in these in these programs at, at the college level? They're not going to the athlete. They're not going to the coaches. So when I was at Stanford, I don't know. Stanford got a $300 million, or no, $400 million dollar endowment from Nike. That's see so who's seeing that right? If, let's say like the the coach, okay, like right. head coach of the team, probably making Schmel. a million, all right. And top then, levels are probably making close to four to five million. And we're talking college level, yeah. I'm like, yeah, Har- uh, was it Harbaugh? Harbaugh went to Michigan, set the stage. I think he was making a few mil. He came out of he came out of San Francisco. I right? know, I know. Fonte at Virginia Tech's making like two, three million. Yeah, I, know. I mean, I would probably count. Yo, they're doing right that now. in fucking apparel, like in a in a single semester. Yeah. Right, right. And the TV deals and all the other shit. Because when the research lab needs a fucking new wind tunnel, yeah, it's the football team that's paying for it. Because right, you don't got to pay the players. We were talking about a homie the other day that was fucking going into that did the HOA pro day that got that got banned from NCAA for monetizing oh, his yeah. YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 oh, so I was just going to ask about that. How how important? First of all, well, I have two questions. Yeah. First of all, how important is it for you guys now, like in these traditional sports, football, basketball, whatever, to start building like your personal stock, uh, and how limited are you in doing that? Because I like just from a business sense and from a negotiation sense, right? The person who has the power in any negotiation is the person who's, who's willing to walk away from the table, right? Yeah. And you see it in other sports, you, you made reference to like combat sports, right? A guy like McGregor, 
He's got a million things going on, totally invested in his personal stock. He doesn't need to take a payday from the UFC. So if he's going to take a payday from the UFC, it's going to be enormous, right? Because he can walk away at any point. It doesn't affect him, you know? So for you guys in, in traditional sports where it's like you've always, for the most part, have always just, it's been based on your talent, right? Like mm-hmm. the personalities, sure, they're there, but they're not exposed the same way they are in some of these other like social media friendly sports. So again, yeah, what are your, what are the limitations there? Like you said, someone got shit. That was at college? The college yeah, level? Yeah, so the college level, and I think they just passed it, I believe, either a year or two years ago. And a lot of it came from Trevor Lawrence at Clemson because a lot of the stuff that he was trying to do, he was trying to fundraise for, um, like, I believe some of the hurricane stuff, I think COVID relief stuff. Like, he's been trying to fundraise for a bunch of stuff. And he wanted to use his name, image, and likeness to fundraise. And I had the same problem. I actually, my senior year, I fundraised for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society in honor of my brother. And so we raised $63,000 in funds for that. But I had to go through a bunch of hoops through the NCAA to say, that I'm not fundraising this for my own. Like I'm using my name, image, and likeness for like a foundational group, but like wow. we couldn't use that for our own personal stuff. So the college level, I think has finally passed it. And like I said, it was, I think it's through Trevor Lawrence's push of saying like, dude, let me do some good in the, in the community with my name, image, and likeness. And now obviously I think they can make some money off of it. Um, but NFL level, there isn't really any restrictions. One of my issues when it comes to that, and we've had yeah, yeah. great conversation about this <laughs> the other day, where he was like, "I'll do this shit for you if you really want me to." So, let me just put this in the perspective: like, I'm kicking the NFL. I miss a game-winning kick, right? I'm getting death threats in my social media account, right? Mm-hmm. If I am constantly posting stuff about what I'm doing, having everyone watching me, doing all this stuff, if I miss a game-winning kick, the perception isn't for me they just missed a kick. The perception is going to be Wow, that kid was really caught up in all the social media. He's really not focused on kicking. Maybe if you took some time away from all your pictures and stuff, maybe you could kick better, right? So I think building the brand of an athlete has to start with the athlete being really good at being an athlete, right? Like you can't just be a personality in some aspects. I think the better ones are he's a great athlete. He makes a shit ton of money being an athlete. He's amazing at it. I like watching him be an athlete. And then if I watch some of his personal stuff on the side, it's nice to see, right? But if it, a lot of guys right now are building like that whole, like that, I don't like the whole building their brand, right? Like I understand you're trying to, your job is to play football. Your job is not, or is to play the sport. Your mm-hmm. job is technically not to post a bunch of stuff and, and whatever. And now people are going to use that for their advantage. Like they're going to give you sponsorships and all that stuff. But you got to, do your job first before you worry about the social media side of it. And I think a lot of people are starting to get caught up in the social media side of it before they actually take care of their job. And so, yeah, they set themselves up afterwards to make $100,000 in sponsorships and shit post their career. But I'm sitting there looking at, dude, you could have played for six, seven years, made millions, and then even had a greater social media influence post your Mm -hmm. career because you were the GOAT and... Now people just watch you because you're great at football instead of you're funny to listen to on a podcast or you're cool to chime in on with your family dynamic. Like I just, I don't know. I, I in my my aspect of it, I'm constantly like, I'll, I'll be a great kicker. I'll make a bunch of money doing that. And then I'll start to kind of, yeah, I'll reach out to this person for an endorsement or hopefully they reach out to me for an endorsement, right? Like I don't want to go searching for it. I want them to kind of come to me because I'm good at what I do and they want to associate their name with me instead of me 
hey, you want to sponsor me? Hey, you want to sponsor me? Hey, give me money, give me money. It's like, I, I can't do that personally. It just is weird for me. Sure. And I'm sure it's tough to manage when you're so, like, there's such a time commitment with football and camp and all that stuff. Well, too. I think, too, it's positionally specific, right? Like, if you're an O-lineman and you got, like, a cool shoe collection and you put it up, it's like, no one, you, someone breaks tackle or something, you're like, eh, well, no one's giving, but it's, you know, there's a few positions where it's all eyes on you, right. right? Like if you're a QB, if you're behind center, if you're kicking, that's a different kind of pressure where it's like, okay, you're going to catch that twofold because it's literally make or break, right? Like for sure. No one, and cause I grew up as a goalie. It's like the goalie never wins the game, but the goalie can sure as fuck lose the game. Yeah. Right. So it's going to be points where it's like, yeah, it's a game winning kick, but it's like, yo, why weren't we in a position where we were up fucking 14 where it came down to the kick? Right. Right. But no one asked those questions. They asked, well, why did fucking Joey post his quinoa bowl at fucking noon? Or, today? yeah, or you're, you're posting party pics on a boat yeah. in Miami, and then you walk into the season, you miss a big kick. Yeah. They, they, they killed, what was it, like four or five years ago? It was like Odell, Sterling Shepard, and all the wide receivers pretty much for the New York Giants. They had just made the playoffs. They went on like a – then they had a bye or something. It was, it was a weird whatever. And then they got their ass beat the next week. Right, and everyone was like, "Oh, it's probably because you guys were on a boat." It's like <laughs> the correlation. I get that you're, what you're trying to draw is like I wasn't focused on the game. I think they lost to the Packers, and Aaron Rodgers went the like did Aaron Rodgers stuff and <laughs> beat the shit out of them, and it just happened. Like it just was one sure. of those situations. But the media loves to draw those but it's, connections. Well, and the fans, right? Yeah. Like that Make UFC of meme it. of the guy going, "Yeah, I would have triangle choked him." He's got like Dorito dust on his fucking yeah. fingers. It's like, no, you wouldn't have, because you would have been dead twelve times over. So it's like the, it's like the you know the the armchair fucking quarterbacks mm-hmm. like starting to call the shots. But I mean, I think it's rare in the sense that you know, there's, I think people are too opportunistic in the social media sense of going like, okay, you know, you get however many millions of eyeballs on you, how could I capture that and leverage it? Where it's like, you're gonna get way more eyeballs if you're just the best ever. So I think sure, it's not like football's lacking in eyeballs. Right, exactly. And then if you, like, I mean, if I have a great career, right? Like I'm, I'm a top kicker for a long time. I retire at the age of 38, right? Thirty more years to do social media, Boats shit, right? Thirty ninth birthday is gonna be fire, <laughs> right? But you, like, you just like you have so much more time to do the next thing, right? Sure. Like I don't, and I'm not saying to not use your platform. I just I also think when you when you open that dynamic up, like I don't interact with a lot of people on social media because I don't want to open that chain. Because once mm-hmm. you do, it's like. All hell breaks loose, yeah. and then you gotta you gotta constantly keep up with it. You gotta constantly do this stuff, and it's just is like, I ain't got like if I want to be the best kicker, I can't focus on this shit right, right now. Like, I, I ain't got time. Like yeah, kick, kick. balls, Jordan. <laughs> what else should I do? Well, I don't know. Kick balls. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. His impression of me is a lot like your impression of me. I'm starting to think that's what I actually sound no, like. No, no, no. Yours is more like. Uh, I don't get how I think I sound. Yeah, like that. he sternal, sounds sternal compression. Uh, sideways. No, he talks like. <laughs> so at least he, he gives he you a bit of bass. Huh? You, you come. You make me sound like a whiny. He gives yeah, me a little yeah. Bass. No, you talk like it's like a sex See, line. Actually, that's yeah, he <laughs> does sometimes. You do sometimes. Like wait, I want eight hundred number like you, this you, shit. You can identify when Killian does it, right? No, come on, come on. What? No, come yeah. on. We have cameras. When, when he sounds like, like a California Killian, surfer guy. Killian's like the the evil part of my subconscious. Killian says all the shit I think and don't say, <laughs> but says it. So when I hear no, Killian they, talk, I just hear one tone. Okay, Stop. well we. 
Okay. We're approaching I, the hour I and a half mark. Okay, sorry. We're approaching the hour and a half mark, and uh, I want to be mindful of everyone's time, and by everyone, I mean mine time. <laughs> my time. So, uh, yeah, this is where this ends. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming it, on the show. Thank you, Joey. Thank you, Jordan, for being the host. <laughs> <laughs> you host my podcast all the time. Yeah. I haven't been in your podcast in a while. I got we're doing, we're we'll doing do it, it Saturday, so make sure you're around. Okay, perfect. I'll be <laughs> I can't wait to end our podcast. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to talk to Stephanie more. So. Okay, bye. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thank you. Later.